This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Coleman, hosting today's show along with Craig Coben and Max Cohen. This episode, we are going to look back at Fulham's 2-2 draw against Bournemouth. Should be an interesting show, but before we do anything else, I'm going to welcome my co-host back to the show. First, Mr. Cohen, how you doing? Doing good, Russ. You know, could be better if we if we won this match, um, but I think the big takeaway is Mitro wasn't fully fit. Um, if he's a fully fit Mitro, I think we win this game easily. We're talk about that, but yes, definitely. At the end of the day, these are type of matches you have to win to stay in the Premier League. Home matches against newly promoted sides, just like yourself. Yep. I, I'm kicking myself we didn't get three points. Okay. And you look, you look at the table. We're really only three points clear of the relegation zone. You know, th- a lot of places between us and the relegation zone. To be fair, it's yep. very congested, but yep. we need to start picking up results. And I think the next couple of matches are really going to be crucial especially considering we only got one point at home to Bournemouth. Well, you want to max your points out at home, but I do want to say this, and I'll mention this on the show. I, I want to give more credit to Bournemouth because I think they deserve some max. And uh, I've seen, obviously, we're going to look at it through a Fulham glass, but if you look at it through a neutral, Bournemouth actually have been playing very well under Gary O'Neill and have not lost yet. So maybe we're not giving them enough credit. I'll just say that. But I understand where you're going from a Fulham perspective not good enough mr kobe you were there so uh again welcome back to the show how you doing i'm doing great russ great to see you but was it the game disappointing result in my view two points dropped a lot of questions asked of us especially about the performance in the first half and although we dominated possession in the second half i thought the quality of our crosses just wasn't good enough yeah we really didn't put very much pressure on the goalkeeper despite uh, our, you know, the, the, despite the fact that we had so much of the ball. It's funny you say that because when I watched back the second half, that's exactly what I saw, Craig. I saw a lot of possession, a lot of crosses, and not much quality with the crosses. And we'll talk about that when we 
talk about the second half, but there was a dominant part to the second half and Fulham with a better side in the second half. But did they really bother Bournemouth? I don't know, because Bournemouth looked a little bit comfortable. We'll, we'll talk about that, along with some other subjects. also want to mention, if you haven't already, please do subscribe on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. We are live right now on YouTube. Please do subscribe. It helps other Fulham supporters find us, along with supporters of other clubs. Also, I know I keep mentioning this, but I'm going to keep on mentioning it. Cottage Talk is now part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. There's going to be a big push on this network after the World Cup, but we are on the ground floor on this. And uh, let's see where this partnership, that being part of this network, brings us. So, again, Cottage Talk, part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Okay, so, guys, let's get going. We've already talked just a little bit. Just overall, Max, just – Opening thoughts on the match. You've already shared a little bit on it. it. It was an odd one. I mean, to go down 1-0 so quickly always colors your perception of any match. Um, and we were just immediately in a deficit before we could even, you know, get situated uh, as a side. So that was frustrating. I think positives, good fight back. You know, we went behind twice and we got a goal both times. And I think a lot of times this season, <clears throat> we've been going ahead in matches and letting other teams back in. So it was nice to be on the other end of that. Um, other thoughts, I'd say Dan James had a poor match. Hate to say it, brought up at halftime. But the positive side is, love the subs at halftime from Marco. William and Candy changed the match. And yeah, as I mentioned, you know, Mitro, even though he's injured, gets that goal. So credit to him, but it's clear he's not where he needs to be. And I'm worried because there's a match Thursday, there's a match Sunday, and then, you know, the World Cup break's coming up, but yep. we need to win these matches. You know, Leeds, Villa, Everton. Big three matches, and we need a fully yeah. fit Mitro. And I don't know how it's going to happen, just given what I've seen from him and given how quickly the fixtures are coming. Okay, they are coming very quickly, and I'm glad that you brought that up. And we're going to talk about the situation with Mitro, and I'll ask the question, should Marco have started him in just a bit? Craig, your opening thoughts, like we already talked about, you were there. I agree with everything Max has said. I would only add that I thought our midfield in the first half failed to assert control over the match. And that's why the substitutions were so important, especially Carandy coming in in the second half to set the tempo and to control a little bit of the ball. Um, I was a bit alarmed in the first half at the gaps that were exposed on both wings, frankly speaking. Um, Bournemouth had too much time on the ball, especially in transition. And we seemed to struggle to control them. The second half, we had much better control of the match, um, even if we didn't really show the quality necessary to win the match. Okay, good stuff, guys. All right, let's just jump to some of the big talking points to come out of this match. Let's just start with this one. We'll talk about the starting eleven in general, but I think this should get us started. Max, should Mitro have started in this match? I think we have to start right here. Oh, I don't know. I don't. It's a really hard one because clearly he was not 100% fit. But Marco made the gamble that this is such a must-win match that even having a partially fit Mitro is worth it. I think yes. I think if you have your star striker, your main source of goals, and he wants to play and he can put in a shift, which he did and he scored, let's not forget, I think you start him. Um, <clears throat> but but it, it really is debatable because do you then save him for the other matches coming up? But I think he targeted home against Bournemouth Yep. saw this match as one where you risk Mitro for. And it was it was going to be worth it in Marco's eyes. And I'd say considering he got the goal, it, it probably was. And he, let, let's not forget, he created the corner 
which we scored off. And he also created the penalty. He got fouled by Lerma. So even though we're saying all this about Micho not being fit, Micho not leaping, Micho not sprinting, his shot led to the corner where Diop scored. Yep. And he scored the penalty, and he and he got fouled for it. So even in a match where, where the Serbian striker is not 100%, he made both our goals, essentially. Okay, interesting. How about you, Craig? When you saw the lineup, and we'll go into more depth on the starting 11 because many of uh, our topics are going to start with that. So should Mitro have started? Did Marco make a mistake here? Yeah, it's hard to know. I agree with Max that Mitra set up the first goal and effectively created the penalty to score the second goal. Um, he was struggling up front, and we seemed to struggle to clear the ball. Um, when Bournemouth was pressing us, especially in the first half, he wasn't an outlet for a long ball, and so then we tried to pass it out from the back, and we struggled on, on several occasions. And in fact, Bournemouth's second goal Mitro could barely leap for the ball. Yeah. He lost it very quickly, and effectively they scored. I don't know if I would say counterattack, but they scored when they regained possession quickly, and, and they scored on the transition. So the verdict is, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to call, um, but Mitro certainly wasn't 100%, but I don't think Vinicius is the, is the finished article uh, either. So uh, it was a very difficult selection uh, decision for Marco Silva. Okay, good stuff. All right. Since a couple of our topics coming up involve the starting 11, we'll just go right to it. And Max, some interesting uh, questions I, I think are going to come out of our discussion here. So give me your opening thoughts on the starting 11, and then I'll go to Craig. Yeah, we haven't even discussed maybe the, the most surprising thing, which was uh, Tosin was dropped. Well, that's why we're talking about the starting 11. No, I know. I'm saying that's, that's, that, that's, I was shocked to see that. Okay. Um, come, you know, coming out before the match. Don't know if he's done too much wrong this season. I'm not sure he would have said it's his best form, but certainly I was surprised to see Reem and Diop. And then, of course, just the lack of uh, in confidence in Kevin Mbabu. That Marco Silva saying, I'd rather start a right winger, an attacking player in right back ahead of you. And let's be clear, Bobby Reed has played wing back before. I mean, he played great in that away match in Leicester a couple years ago. Right. But as part of a back five, I can't remember him playing as part of back four. That showed. And so that, to me, shows Marco Silva has, has no confidence in Kevin Mbabu because he's playing a, wing, a winger, an attacker, in a right-back position instead of an actual right-back in a back four. That, that okay. was shocking to me, too. And then I guess the other big call was um, Dan James starting Cabano. Yep. I think those are not our, our strongest two wingers. And we'll see that, I think, once you know Solomon comes back, once Wilson's back. I'd imagine Healthy. they'd start. Actually, I'm not sure if they'd start in the, on different positions or they're battling for the same position. But I think hopefully we'll have Wilson on the right, Solomon on the left. Depends. But well, let me ask you this, and and I agree with you. I I think that this is not going to be when we are fully fit our team. Let's just agree with that. But let's focus on the right wing. Let's focus on Dan James. Okay, I agree with what you're saying. I think Dan James is going to help him, but at times. And in this match, he was a passenger. Let's just call it what it is. He was a passenger. So did Fulham hurt themselves? I'm talking about Marco hurt themselves by making the choice to not play Mbappu because I would have played Mbappu even though there's, again, negativity attached to it. He hasn't played well, but I still would want to see more of him. I would have played Mbappu because I would have played Bobby Decadover-Reed up yeah, there. That, and I don't think you're getting point. enough from Bobby. I don't point. think you're playing to his strengths, Max. What I would say was Bobby was excellent second half. 
He was. He was, I'd say, one of our best players second half. But he's he more was, valuable up yeah. front. Yeah, I, I think that's a good argument to be made. And then we have Steven Turner in the comments saying, would you give Luke Harris a go? I think that's a pretty good shout. You know, I think maybe he could do just as well as Dan James, perhaps. So Yeah, very interesting that he mentions Luke Harris. And it's funny because uh, I think there's a little hesitancy to put him into the fray right now. But at some point, you know, listen, if you're putting him on the bench, maybe you should play him. I think that could be the argument, right? If he's good enough to be on the bench, Max, maybe you should play him. I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see with the match on Thursday and then a match on the Sunday. We might yep. see see some serious minutes. Steven so. Turner, it was a, it's a very good question to ask. I agree with you on that. Okay, over to you, Craig. Your thoughts on all this? Well, the first question I had was why Issa Diop was replacing um, Tosin as the, as the right yeah. central back. Um, and Marco Silva referred to technical um, reasons for for, for this, his decision to start Issa Diop. I always wish these managers would be more transparent. I appreciate the need <laughs> for this question, but I, I would just be interested to understand what his thinking was. The thought was. process, yeah. Um, and because obviously it was a new central center-back partnership, and on the first goal probably uh, the, the lack of familiarity was was exposed. I think secondly, I agree with Max that um, starting Bobby Reed, Bobby Decker-Dover Reed at right back is a vote of no confidence. Oh, I agree with that. And again, that first goal really showed the need for an experienced right back because if you look at it, um, Bobby Decker-Dover Reed was in no man's land and it's one of the reasons why they were able to streak down that side to score that first goal. Um, and so it's it, some of these decisions, I would just like to understand them a little bit better um, because, you know, we, we, had un, we had players not familiar with their positions. And yeah, as right. a result, we were exposed very early in the match. Totally agree. Um, as far as the wingers go, I, I think we've said it before, the 4-3-3 system, or 4-2-3-1, depending on what you want to call it, right. system of Marco Silva, with Mitro in the center, relies on strong wingers and wingers and crosses from the wingers. Um, and Cabano and, 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 and Dan are not the first choices. Um, Manor Solomon has been injured. Harry Wilson has been injured, only coming back now. And we need to have them fully fit. I think that it's going to conti- we're going to continue to struggle to score goals if we don't have Mitro receiving the sort of service he needs. Totally agreed. So, um, you know, the starting 11 was a little bit of a work in progress. Maybe it was forced on us by, by injuries and so forth. Um, But I I did really struggle with the decision to start Bobby Decorado Rita's right back. Okay. And I'm going to go back to that because I think that you're not playing to his strengths. I was talking to someone this morning about, the Bobby Decker-Dover-Reed situation, and that he's basically between two worlds. He is a natural – he naturally wants to go forward. He naturally wants to attack. So he's not a natural defender. So he's kind of in between both. He His first instinct is to go forward. But his – as a right back, his first instinct has to be to defend, Craig. And that goes to your point. I – again, I'm not in training. I don't know – what Kevin and Babu is not showing Marco, but I think you go with a natural right back and you see if you 
put him into the deep end and see if he swims. And if he continues not to swim, then you get basically you have to get rid of him at some point, or you just don't play him. But it's I think you again. I said this on my quick preview. I would have put in Kevin and Bobo. I know how he's played so far, but you are putting Bobby Decadova Reed in an uncomfortable situation two matches in a row against a team that likes to attack Craig on counterattacks. You yeah. are putting him in a very bad position. I understand blaming Bobby and, and pointing that out, but I think part of it isn't his fault, Craig, because he's not a natural defender. Look, I think Bournemouth's strategies in the first half was when they got the ball, every time they would try to attack or, you know, our right back. Right. Uh, I mean, that was like their first instinct. Uh, and so, you know, you have to address that tactically in one way or another. And it probably took us a little bit of time to get our minds around it. Yep. We do miss Kenny Tete. I think when he's healthy and he plays, he's a phenomenal right They're back. They're too reliant he, on him, though, Craig. Great they cross be- on the ball, but he's he seems to be uh, injury injury prone. quite often. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's we've made a recruit another recruitment fiasco with the team or what, but we we, we brought in Kevin Mbabu as a right back. We knew we needed a right back. Right. And and now we have one who's not fit and the other who is not fit to who's not good enough to play, apparently. Right. And that's a problem, Craig. And listen, I'm a huge Kenny Tete fan, but you can't rely on someone after three seasons of getting injured every single season. It's an issue. And if Kevin Mbabu is not good enough, they need to take care of this in the January transfer window and get a proven right back that can step in because this is not acceptable. The situation, nothing against Kenny Tete. I don't blame him for his injuries. He's just a player that gets injured. It's not his fault. He just gets injured. But then you can't count on him, and that causes another problem because if you had a capable right back, this wouldn't be a problem. But you need a capable right back. If it's not in Babu, you need to find one because Bobby Decadova reach should not be put in this situation. I love Marco. I understand why he did it, but I – Again, I just disagree with this decision. I disagree with it because I think it hurt us possibly more than it helped us. I understand where he was going on this, but I just think it hurt us. All right. Focusing on the starting 11, back over to you, Max. I want to talk about Diop, okay? Because there's been a lot of talk about Tim Ream and talk about the partnership and obviously leaving Tosin out. I'm going to make the argument right now. I think Issa Diop should start every single match. Now, I'm, I'm all on board on him. Do you agree with me? And if so, you agree with me. Who should be his partner? Because you need to start a partnership. So I'm o- I'm opening up all the controversies right now with the setbacks. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's get into it. Um, I'm not ready to go that far just yet with Diop starting every match. I thought he, he played he played well. Obviously, got a goal. I was nervous every time the ball went to him. I just okay. didn't think he had good, good technical ability. But by the end of the match, I mean he was probably playing better crosses than the wingers were to be honest i mean every single time he seemed to clip that ball up from his center back position mitro got the end of it or went to william and that's a lot more than you could say about robinson wilson will any any of the actual attacking players so i was impressed actually by his technical ability which i thought would have been much worse is he a good defender he's big he's physical i don't know if he has the pace tosin has recovering you know and you know how many times tosin has saved us in the past when Reams kind of dove in and Tosin can come up behind and kind of mop up. Yeah. I still think back to the Arsenal match when he was kind of suspect on the on the corner on that goal. 
but he just came on as a sub. So I don't really know yet is the answer, Ross. Okay. I think Diop has quality. Is it Dioparim? Is it Dioptosin? That's where I'm... I, I don't know. I think this is actually you. a real selection headache. Reem, Reem was a bit shaky yesterday, if we're going to be honest. I think he had some good moments, and I think generally he was solid, but every time Solanke seemed to drag him wide, that was an issue. And Reem did seem to be exposed and left the gaps. You could argue that was because the wingbacks weren't getting back, which is fair. But Absolutely. we kind of saw the Bournemouth players playing on Reem's lack of pace. Yeah, which they should, Max, honestly. Which they should, which was smart. I do not know. I honestly don't know if Diop should start ahead of Tosin. Okay. But I think taking a step back quickly to close this out. Yep. We're conceding far too many goals. Well, that's That's why I'm trying to find. And I don't know what the answer is to solve it. And I think it might lie more with the wing backs. I think it does. I actually think it does. But I think this is also an interesting situation with with these three players. Because you don't want to, I feel, rotating three different center backs to the two. I think you want to have a decision on who the two are. So, Craig, you've now seen Diop a little bit. Is it too early to say he should be playing regularly? I'm just going to ask the question. And then if so, who should be his partner? Yeah, I think it's a bit too early to say whether I would prefer him over Tosin. Um, I haven't seen enough of him. Uh, I think it's difficult to think that Diop and Tosin would be a good center back partnership uh, because I think, you know, you benefit from having a left footed left center back. Um, and also I don't think they are as good on the ball as Tim Ream for all of his faults. And, you know, we, people have been writing Tim Ream off virtually since he joined the club. Tim Ream is good on the ball. Tim Ream passes it well. Tim Ream controls it well. And I think especially, you know, when the team gets pressed a lot and you have to pass it out from the back, possession-oriented center-back is actually quite quite valuable. Okay, very good. Okay, guys, again, sticking with talking about the starting 11. Now, I agree with the decision on the starting 11 in central midfield, but I want to talk a little bit about the situation with Tom Kearney because if you go on social media, you could see fans talking about wanting Tom Kearney to start in the next match because he played well and we'll, we'll go through that. And I thought he actually changed the match along with William. So let me ask you guys this, because I have a theory on this and I want to dive a little bit into this. So Max should Fulham rotate who starts between Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney based on the opponent. What I mean by is that when you have an opponent like an arsenal, like a big six that comes at you, I think Harrison Reed is great because he runs around and does all that. When you have the ball, Tom Kearney has the ability to make those passes and calm things down and move things around. So I'm going to ask the question because I'm now convinced that Tom Kearney has a role, maybe even a bigger role this season. So should Marco consider rotating these guys based on the opponent? I'm curious your view on this. Well, I don't know if that's the right way I look at it. I think Pereira should be considered on the drop okay. table instead of Harrison Reed. I mean, yeah, Pereira is excellent at, at set-piece deliveries. Excellent. I mean, he created that that corner. Diop was superb, and it's been like that all season. Apart from that, I've been a bit underwhelmed by Andreas Pereira in terms of okay. what he offers away from the dead ball situations. So I think there's no need to drop Harrison Reed, who also I think has been very, very good this season. Very good. I think you should play Paulinho Reed and then Kearney as the center attacking midfielder in that situation. 
Um, but okay. Silva seems enamored with Pereira um, and, and considers him undroppable. And this is why we're having this conversation. But I think Pereira should be the one who should step out because Harrison Reed hasn't really put a foot wrong. Okay, so opinion. then would you, you – but you wouldn't put Harrison Reed in his role. Or no, I, I'd leave Harrison Reed where he is now. Okay. Put Kearney, put Kearney where is. In, in his role. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So you would actually combine the two and drop Pereira. I don't yeah. see that happening. Craig, your thoughts on all I this? I mean, Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney aren't interchangeable. They're they're different midfielders. I mean, Harrison Reed is a kind of a, almost a number six, um, whereas Tom Kearney is kind of a hybrid kind of eight and ten. Right. Um, I mean, they, they play different roles. I don't think it's a choice of one or the other. And I agree with Max. What's keeping Tom Kearney out of the team is Pereira. Now, Pereira oh, okay. has different attributes from Tom Kearney. And I think that's what you need to adapt to your opponent. Okay. Um, Tom Kearney is more methodical. He's more possession-oriented. Um, you know, Pereira is a bit more of a wild card, but he's also incredibly – can be incredibly dynamic – and I do believe his dead ball delivery is in, is very valuable. I mean, you know, let's be yeah. honest. Uh, you know, that's a good point, Max. You you have to give that to Pereira. And so, I, you know, certainly in, in bringing Kearney in to the game of the second half, I think was quite decisive in changing uh, the momentum and the tenor right. of, of the game. Okay. Um, but I think that's really what you're talking about here, and it probably depends a little bit on the on the tactics you're going to be setting up for. Um, but as opposed, I don't think Kearney and Reed do the same thing, and I don't think they're. I actually think they're quite dissimilar players within that midfield that that they have different roles. So you could see them actually playing together. Craig is your point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they both drop deep. I mean, Kearney likes to drop deep, get the ball. But he's all, he can also play higher up the pitch in a way that doesn't really suit Harrison Reed. Um, Harrison Reed is a, is a, you know is a different sort of field general, if I can put it like that. Right. So let me ask both of you this: Why do you think? And we'll talk about this. He took off Harrison Reed. Over to you, Craig. I think he wanted more strength and control in the midfield. It was quite clear that we were being overrun in the midfield, and that's actually where we were losing the game. Was in the right. Midfield. Right, exactly. We weren't holding the ball enough. We weren't. We didn't have enough possession. I know by the end we did, but when it mattered, we weren't really stay. We didn't have enough possession throughout the match, and I think that needed uh, to change. Bear in mind, let's go back to what we were saying about Mitro. Right, Mitro was injured, and one of the things Mitro does quite well. I mean, his work rate is amazing. Is that he comes back deep? He will come back deep and do the work. And add another body effectively in the midfield, um, and that I think we, we didn't really have this game because probably because he was injured, and so that's, we a, that's an to interesting have point. Possession in the midfield, then uh, you know, in the second half, than we had in the first half. Okay, your thoughts on all this, Max? Yeah, I think I, I think we might have lost Max for a second. We may have lost Max. <laughs> problems okay so if max is uh hearing us max just uh dial back in and we'll, we'll give you you know it looks like we did lose max so what's uh what's let's move on my friend let's actually get into talking about the first half and just give me your analysis overall in the first half i thought we were pretty shoddy for much of the first half i thought that 
we allow them way too much space on both wings, frankly speaking. Um, and, you know, even when we were going forward, we didn't look particularly sharp. I mean, after, after Bournemouth scored in the first minute, um, they set up a fairly low block and, you know, they, they let us come on to them, but we really didn't find very much space. Um, so I actually thought it was quite troubling. Um, we weren't getting second balls. Um, we weren't, uh, we weren't creating particularly interesting chances. And every time uh, there was a transition, I felt that Bournemouth had, the, you know, could score and there weren't that many, but every time they seemed to have a transition, um, they were coming close to scoring, if not scoring. Okay. Very good. All right. Over to you, Max, just your overall analysis, and then we'll break it down in the first half. Yeah, I think, um, one thing I want to touch on, which I haven't talked about, is I was disappointed at how we reacted after we scored. Because I think in both instances, when we got, particularly in the first half, once yeah. we got the equalizer, I expected us to push on. What happened was we went on the back foot and conceded very quickly thereafter. And that's what disappointed me about the full performance more than anything, was that when the momentum should have been swinging our way, we let them back into the game and let them boss it. Yeah, and that's what, I was, that, that's, that's what worried me. Because normally... When we see Marcus Silva teams play, you know, once we get the goal, we're pushing on. I mean, the great example of that is Forrest away, right? Um, when we got one, we got two, we got three. Here we got one, the Diop equalizer, and Bournemouth had arguably their best bell of the match after it. Okay. No, very good. Very good stuff. All right, guys, let's really get into it. And we have to start, you know, guys, where we're going to be starting. We're going to be talking about the first uh, – Bournemouth goal, and this happened very quickly, Max, and I'll give you the honors here. Well, I, I'm sorry I'm giving <laughs> you the honors of talking about this because this is the worst possible way to start the match. The only thing I want to say about this, and I just want to give a little credit to Solanke and Bournemouth because I thought both their goals were quality and I thought they were dangerous, and I want to, I just want to give them a little credit. But this is terrible defending both goals. Or, like you said, the play in the first half, was I don't think it's as bad as people are portraying it, but it wasn't good enough. I'll, I'll just go there. This was an indication of being bad, not good enough, just being bad, bad defending. Yeah, I think Craig hit the nail on the head when he mentioned it was Bobby Reed who actually created yeah. the situation. He was in no man's land. Couldn't have said it better myself. In between two and, worlds. Yeah. And then it's just ball watching, though. It's just ball watching from all, all involved in the box. It's a simple one, too. No one really tracks either run. And it's a great finish by Solanke. You're right, Ross. We yeah. need to give Bournemouth more credit. But in that moment, when we conceded within what? I think it was 62 seconds. It was, I saw a glimpse of a team who could be relegated. That's the way I view it. I disagree with that. This. Type I, of, that type of soft on our belly, that type of conceding within I know. I've seen this on social media. I disagree with that. No, I, I know why you're going. No, oh, Ross, hold on. Hold on, Ross. I'm not okay. saying we will. That's not what I'm saying. But I saw <laughs> a sign. Okay. Teams who concede goals like that in winnable home matches, I was like, that could have happened in 2019. You know, that could have happened in 2021. Whereas I hadn't seen that type of mentality from a Fulham team in this season. I have a counter to that, by the way. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay, here's my counter to that. I agree with that that is signs of a team that could get relegated, that type of play. A sign of a team that's going to stay up is being able to be resilient and come from behind. And we saw that twice in this match. So for me, and that's something that I don't think we've seen enough from those two other clubs that got relegated. 
the two other seasons. The resiliency. We saw that in this match. And I've always wanted to see that. Um, that was one of the criticisms I had last season. Would we be resilient? I saw signs of resiliency. That's my point on that. That's a good point. That's my comment. I agree. I agree. Okay. <laughs> wow. We got an agreement. Okay. <laughs> Craig, over to you. Look, uh, the, the, oh, the, the, first, the first goal was, was a fiasco. The other thing I would mention is that, you know, the first ball out from the back past James was too easy. They waltzed down the left side too easily. And then our two center backs weren't communicating and they both ended up sort of chasing after Billings and leaving Solanke free, which is just inexplicable for the finisher. Um, it was a comedy of errors um, from, you know, top to bottom. And yeah. it was a terrible way to start the match. I was actually, I was shocked. I mean, it happened at, at my end. I stand at the, you know, I'm in row QQ of, uh, of the Hammersmith end. And it was a, it was a shocking start. Okay. Very good. Okay. Craig, back to you. Now let's talk about the equalizer, the equalizer. from Issa Diop. Now, this goes back to our argument about Pereira, right? Because the deliveries from Pereira are fantastic on, yeah. on set pieces. They just are. And But this is a, a good header. I don't even think he got off the ground on it here, Craig. Well, it was at the opposite end of the pitch for me, so I couldn't see it that well. But um, worth noting, first of all, as we mentioned, that Mitro actually had set up the corner by uh, you know putting a shot that was deflected for the corner. Um, second, the, the the delivery was fantastic, and it's one area where the team has improved beyond recognition under Silva. And when you consider that a quarter to a third of all goals are offset pieces. That matters. We talk about tactics. We talk about players. Right. But, you know, set pieces matter enormously, and it, it, it's hugely valuable. Um, but, uh, yeah, he didn't look like he had to jump very high. He looked actually yeah. like uh, the defending probably was a bit slack on the part of, of Bournemouth. Okay, excellent. So that makes the match 1-1. Next place I want to go is going to be a little bit of controversy, Mattering, on how you view this. Okay, so now I – have the ability to slow this down and really look at this. And I'm just going to come out and say this, guys. Ryan Fredericks did a swan dive here. Okay, he did a little bit of a dive, and I watched this slowly. He tried to create a penalty situation. Now, Tim Ream did grab him, Max, but he let go. The minute he let go, then Ryan Fredericks does his best Marcus Smart impression. And if you're a Celtics fan, you would know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. that. Let's just say it's it's an embellishment here. So I don't think of, this was even remotely a penalty. And Max, this is going to be great because this is, goes into my argument about VAR. This is where VAR gets it right and the reason why we have VAR. For this particular situation. Yeah, well, I, I was glad it wasn't a penalty. I think it was ridiculous because he was never getting to that touch, first of all. He was never right. getting to that ball. So Reem was a bit a bit naive, a bit silly, a bit, you know, flat-footed to even initiate contact when he should have just seen that Fredericks isn't going to get to that ball because he took a poor touch. But you're right, there was very little contact. And I actually didn't – I haven't slowed it down. I, I thought it looked soft, but I'm glad that you had the, the analysis it of it. Um, because it looked like there was a little – you know, he kind of touched his arm, but not nearly enough to kind of flail himself to the ground. I was nervous, though, because as soon as the we see the referee touching his ear, you know, he's talking – I just didn't want him to go over to the monitor because the rule of thumb now is if you're going to the monitor, it's given. doesn't matter. The penalty's already given. The red card's already given as soon as the referee makes that jog over. So I was just glad he the, the match continued. 
Okay. Craig, I want to get your thoughts. You've probably got a good view of this. And what's interesting is that I think that 10 years ago, this is a penalty. 10 years ago, this is a penalty. I think with VAR, that's why I think things have changed a little bit. But I have the ability to watch this back in slow motion, so I can really see it. In real time, it probably many probably thought it was a penalty. What, what were your thoughts? It didn't look like a penalty from where I was standing, so um, I didn't think it was even a close call. Um, and uh, certainly the fans didn't either, and they started to sing several songs about Ryan Fredericks, which would not be appropriate for a family <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Didn't look, it didn't look like a close call to me. Okay. But Reem shouldn't have been pulling him back anyway. He wasn't no, he shouldn't have. Ball. No, um, he shouldn't have. But, that, that's uh, on him. You know, uh, Ryan Fredericks, he was, a, he was a good right back for us. Maybe it would be good if he were back on the team. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going there. On <laughs> that's funny that we're talking about that. Well, his stamp on his stamp on Jack Grealish in the, in the final at Wembley was one to remember. <laughs> oh, man. I... It's wow, we're going all the way back to there. It's funny because I didn't notice it live, but when I saw the replay of that match from, from Wembley, it's like wow, the foam got away with one there. That was that was bad. So that was a bad step. That was very anyway, bad. Well, Ryan Fredericks may not win any, you know, awards for ethical footballer of the year, <laughs> but um, I think we could use we could use somebody like that at right back. You know what, Craig? I'm going to agree with you. I'm actually going to agree with you on that because right now I think Fulham are hurting without having a Ryan Fredericks. I can't believe I'm saying that. Or someone that could actually, a capable right back, backup that can step in because that's a major problem right now. Okay. Craig, I'm going to go right back to you because, again, you were there. So give me your thoughts on the second goal from Bournemouth. The second goal was was also a shocker. Um, I think we cleared the ball. I think uh, Lando clears the ball. Um, Micho barely jumps. We, we lose it very quickly. And then on the counter, they just sort of waltz down the right side. Um, and then it looked to me that the midfielders just got sucked in too deep and they just left too much space for, for Lerma. And it was so easy. And both, um, who made the pass? Was it Solanke who made the pass? Uma had the assist and Lerma had just too much space. Um, and it was, it was an easy goal. It was actually quite shocking how easy it was. Yeah. But again, it was off these transitions. We, we, we seem to be on the, literally in this case on the back foot. Okay. And Craig, this seems to be a theme because we're going to be talking about the problems with the fullbacks. And even in the uh, Reem situation, Jedi was just way behind. He was way behind. And I think, trying to go forward the way that they did against a team that can counter like this, you got to get back. And yeah, I know well, we're we talking about the, the situation with Bobby Deckard over Reed, but Jedi's got to get back. We lost the ball too quickly for, for Robinson to get back. And so Reem got drawn out uh, covering Solanke, if I yeah. recall correctly. Um, yeah. You know, if we, don't, if, we, if we don't have the outlet up front to hold the ball, or at least to fight for the ball, then yes, you you know you have to be more cautious, and if you're if you're if you're a winger, you right. can't go flying up the pitch and leaving uh, our center backs as exposed as they were. But again, you know we, what actually surprised me was you know when Solanke had the ball on the right side, Reem goes out to cover him. Yeah, the, the midfield is sort of panicking to get back, and they all got back way too deep. And then Lerma just you know right he set up the yeah. tent, frankly speaking, around him when he got the ball. 
Right. Very good point by you, Craig. Very good point. I'm just going to share some comments that I'm seeing here. This goes back to our conversation and uh, talking about Ryan Fredericks. Chris, I saw that it was 100% dive from Fredericks. Let's see what Dave Cronin has to share here. Went down too easily. Reem hardly touched him. I agree with that. And going back to talking about Ryan Fredericks. Ryan Fredericks should be deputizing Tete, not in Babu. Interesting. That goes back to what you said, Craig. Yeah. Well. You know, that's it's funny that other fans are, are saying that as well. He did make the decision to go to Bournemouth. I remember the speculation with it. I wasn't against him coming to Fulham, but I actually wanted an upgrade. I don't think Ryan Fredericks is an upgrade, but I would take him right now. I, I'm there with you, Craig. Well, Ryan Fredericks actually didn't have that great of a game. No, he uh, didn't. But he has incredible pace. And, yeah, still uh, does. you know, he's at, I, I, I just think we just don't have the coverage there. And so I yep. agree with Isaac, what Isaac has to say. I mean, um, you know, my, my first choice would definitely be Tete, but he seems to be perennially injured. Yeah, and that's a problem. Okay, guys. So Fulham go into the half down two to one, and they come up for the second half. I think this is a huge part of why the match ended 2-2. I was hoping for more than that, is these uh, changes. Max, I want to get your thoughts on Kearney and William coming on to start the second half. I think in many ways it did change the trajectory of the match. Um, Kearney, as, as we've talked about earlier, had such he has such a calming effect on our midfield and also a positive effect when it just seems like he makes players around him seem better with his control, his passing ability. He can just hold the ball, let other players get in position, and just he's, he's a magician. You know, he just kind of runs the show. Uh, it's great to see. And Willian offered something which is a lot more controlled than Dan James. Exactly. Who, who always just seems to be operating at 100 miles an hour and it doesn't really get his positioning, decision-making correct. Willian, you know, even though he's not sprinting, he's kind of strolling around the pitch, but he obviously knows exactly where to be and his touch is so good. And those two changes, I think, made us better. And they happened at halftime. Right. I'm really glad that happened. We don't normally see that with Fulham. We're used no. to bemoaning managers for being too. I love this, your phrase that you always use, Ross, which is reactive and not proactive. Marco Silva was proactive yesterday. And I think that saved the match. I agree. I, I agree. It's funny because you could say he's being reactive at halftime, but when you make a move at halftime, I don't think that is being reactive. I think if you do in yeah. the 65th minute, that's being reactive. You're doing it now to change the match. That's being proactive. So, and I think it was a very positive move. It's funny. Let's just talk a little bit about Dan James because I was expecting more from him and maybe we're seeing what Leeds United have seen. Those supporters have seen that. Uh, Max, I think you really nailed it. He's like a chicken with his head cut off. You know, he runs while he, it all looks good, but there's something missing there. Maybe there still is something there, but I don't know. So I understand why bringing William on was uh, a, a calming effect. Same thing with Kearney. I, I think the t it wasn't just Kearney. It was both of them. So th that's very good. How about you, Craig? Listen, I agree. I'll give you a, a little bit of trivia, which you may not be ne familiar with. Okay. William, when he was playing for Chelsea, William Lexi lived on the Alphabet Streets near Craven Cottage. Huh. So he's very familiar with football as, as a neighborhood, especially. So that's probably why he just feels really comfortable coming into a match at Craven Cottage. He lived Maybe. there for so long. Um, 
But on a serious note, look, I think I think we needed to take a step back and, and reassert control over the midfield, yeah. um, orient ourselves more around possession, and certainly bringing on Kearney and, and William did the trick. I think uh, making two substitutions at halftime was quite a strong statement of dissatisfaction on the part of Marco Silva, and it's good that he sort of took the bull by its horns. Um, you know, Dan James, I think the verdict is still a little bit out. I think when you're coming to a new club, especially with a very tactical manager like Marco Silva, it probably takes some time to understand the system and to work within that system. Um, And so, you know, I I don't want to write him off quite yet. He didn't have a a particularly good match yesterday. Um, But, uh, you know, we, we still need, we need to have players up front who can create some space, who have who have pace. Um, so it was it just wasn't his his day. Okay, excellent stuff. All right, Craig, I'm gonna go right back to you because hopefully you got a good view of the penalty. So let's talk a little bit about this, and I'm gonna ask you a question. If I'm being fair, talking about the Ryan Fredericks situation, Mitro Mitro does have a knack for creating things. I think it's a penalty, but did he do something to help create the penalty? I hate to ask, but I'm going to ask. Well, if the penalty against Colvin Pereira last week against West Ham, if that's a penalty, for sure this was a penalty. Okay. Um, you know, Lerma, you know, puts his hands all over him. He's not looking at the ball. Yeah, it's definitely. Yes, of course, Mitro's gamesmanship was involved. That's why he falls backwards. And, you know, but – you know, it, it, there was a fair shot for a penalty. It could have gone either way. And, you know, you create vulnerability if you're not looking at the ball and you're just trying to manhandle our man. Um, he wasn't trying to play the ball, and he was actually preventing Mitra from running, you know, into the box, running towards the goal. So, you know, I don't think it was an especially unjust penalty to call. It may have okay. been soft, but it was not unjust. Okay, so... I saw this on Twitter. Gary O'Neill described the award of Fulmer penalty as a terrible decision that cost Bournemouth the win. Quote, I thought it was a penalty as there was a WWE move from the Bournemouth player. Yeah, but the issue with the WWE is Tony Khan has a rival wrestling federation. I can't even remember the name of it. AEW. All Elite Wrestling. What he's saying is that was an AEW move, not a WWE (laughs) move. No, that's, <laughs> I, I agree with what Chris has to say. Yes, that's that's funny. And uh, Dave Crow says, "Thought I was watching an NFL move." Okay, <laughs> so so there you go on that. Yeah, well, that would have been that would have been um, illegal use of the hands, a ten yard penalty. <laughs> okay, so now it's two two. Fulham also makes some substitutions, and honestly, guys, it was Fulham in control from that point on. I thought, but here's a question, and I'm going to ask both of you this. And Max, I'll go to you first. Dominant second half. But Fulham cannot get the winner. So this goes back to the very beginning of the show when Craig was talking about all the possession, not really good final balls. I'll add that to this. But the crossing was poor. Crossing, There were a lot of crosses in the box. But there were poor crosses in the box, Max. You can have all the possession. You can have all the attacking prowess. But if you really aren't really great at it, then because they were very comfortable. I'm going to say this right now. I've watched the Bournemouth uh, video from back of the net and 
they kept talking about how well they played defensively. And I would agree with it, but I'll add to this point. I thought it was comfortable for them. Yeah, I think the real question to ask ourselves is how many saves did Neto make second half where That's he was great, really extended? There you go. I can't think of a single one. Mitro kind of scooped that shot up to him, but that was very easy, right? He caught that without much issue. We had tons of possession, tons of crosses, never really troubled the goalkeeper. And that's all that really matters, right? And that's what was really frustrating was that we didn't create nearly enough. And listen, credit to Bournemouth. They defended very well. This is a far cry from the team that, what, conceded nine at Anfield earlier this fall. Unbelievable. Night and day. But they played... Nine nine men around their their box. I think Marcus yeah. Silva said something to this effect. When they're just that parked the bus, listen, they afforded great respect to us as Fulham. They yep. looked like they were defending against you know a city or an Arsenal or, or one of the top teams at home, but they defended that with their lives. And let's be honest, we were devoid of ideas because once that happens and you can't do our crosses, and Mitro's already you know not good with his cross, not good with his leaping. Right. We we weren't really left with any other ideas. No one really wants to take a shot from outside the box, which is sometimes, you know, we see that. Yeah. It just like it just seemed like we had one idea. And it was cross. And once that right. stopped working, we thought, let's cross again. Um and, and and that was what was really annoying. But there was at least intent, right? Other matches, right. you know, we would have seen Bournemouth maybe on the ascendancy, Bournemouth taking the shots. If this was Scott it, Parker's it was form, it would yeah. all be sideways passes. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it. Yeah. At least I mean, it was, as you said, intent. Craig, I, I want to just echo what Max just said. The crosses were not good enough. Overall, the finishing was obviously, you, you know, in the final third was just non-existent because you didn't even get to that point. But the intent was there. I think they just need to work on this. Bournemouth were going for the draw. They were wasting time. Yep. Um, and much to the dismay of, of the fans, certainly around me. And I'm not going to repeat what people were saying, but uh, it wasn't, you know, people were pretty unhappy. Um, and it showed it was because we were the better team and we were the ones most likely to score. Right. Um, so I think we can take away a positive from that, uh, even if I thought our crossing was pretty wayward and we didn't really show particularly, you know, a lot of class. And we didn't really trouble the netto uh, at, at any juncture. Right. Um, but, um, you know, we were the better team. And at the end of the day, Bournemouth were hanging on for the point. Um, so that's why I still feel this was to some degree two points dropped. Okay. Excellent stuff. That's going to be how I want to end the show. So coming up next, I want to get both Craig and Max's man of the match along with yours if you're watching live. And also, was this a fair result? Should it have been a draw? We'll answer that. In just a few minutes. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. 
Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Okay, guys, let's get to it. So let's start here, Max. Man of the match, and then we'll talk about was this a fair result. Who's your man of the match? I'm actually going to say Bobby Deckard over Reed because of what he did in that second half. Wow. I thought there are a number of times when he just won the ball, beat his man, wanted so much more than the Bournemouth player, and he was just such a live wire on that right that right wing because he was playing in a more attacking position, right? He's defending what wasn't the best, as we know, but I was really impressed by what I saw from him. He seemed like the Fulham player who was a catalyst for so many of our late attacks, so I'll give it to him. But honestly, no one player stood out in my opinion. Okay. Okay. How about you, Craig? You were there. How, what were your thoughts? Tom Kearney is my man of the match. Tom Kearney. There you go. Turned it around. Um, he set the pace. He set the tempo. And he was our best player on, on the pitch. Okay. So that's going to go back to the question at the beginning of the show when I was talking about Kearney and Reed. Craig, I'll ask you, you know, again, I haven't watched much of Aston Villa. Actually, I was just watching it while we're doing the show. Would you start Tom Kearney against Aston Villa? Yes, I would start Tom Kearney against Aston Villa. Um, but I, I haven't seen enough of Aston Villa to feel 100% confident in my judgment. But I think we need to we need to have better possession of the ball um, in the midfield. I, I felt that that is actually where we went astray in this game, was in the midfield. Um, we just did not sort of assert ourselves enough. Okay, I'm going to share some comments, guys, from my friend Chris Goodwin, man of the match, William. By the sounds of it, he's helped change the second half. You are right about that. Val goes with Leno and Kearney. And let's see what else we got. And Dave Cronin adds with Kearney. So I understand that. Okay, guys, to end the show, I'm curious your view. I I know where Craig already stands on this, but Max, I'll give you first crack at it. Was 2-2 fair result or or did Fulham drop two points here? I have two answers. I think 2-2 probably <laughs> was fair. Honestly, I don't think we did enough to win the match just okay. on the basis of what we talked about in terms of high-quality chances created. But I do think it was two points dropped in the grand scheme of the season. As I said, being the show, it's as simple as this. When you get promoted to the Premier League, you look at the home matches against teams that came up with you, and that should be a nailed-on, not a nailed-on three points, but you right. need to win those matches realistically if you want to m- maximize your chances of staying up. Okay. And we didn't do that. Okay, so you're kind of going up two different directions on this. Yeah. <laughs> you're saying that it's a fair result, but we dropped two points, which I yeah. find interesting. Okay. Well, I I, you you can't be happy with this. Okay. You can't be happy with drawing Bournemouth at home. It's, it's hard to spin this as a positive thing uh, in, in the season. Okay. How about you, Craig? What's your view on this? You've already said you feel that it's two points dropped, but do you think it's a fair result? I don't know what we mean by fair. I mean, you know, with you know, if good triumphs over evil, we should win every match. But <laughs> see, so, that's that's the know, best life, answer. Life isn't fair, but the reality is we didn't do enough to to win the match. Yeah, um, we we drew the match not because of some mistake by a referee or or or, or any shenanigans by by Bournemouth, but because we were too slack in the first half and not precise enough in the second half. And that's the reality. 
and I agree with Max. This the, the, these are the games you absolutely have to win if you're going to stay up. And so it is a disappointing result. We were the better team, and that's shown by the fact that Bournemouth were wasting time at the end of the match. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. That's but, a good point. Uh, you know, we didn't score the goal that was necessary to unlock the winner. Well, let me ask you guys this, and then we'll definitely finish the show because I, I want to have a few more words on Bournemouth because with Scott Parker being out of there, I, I have a different view now of Bournemouth, but I'm going to say this because I think Gary O'Neill's done a great job and they have not lost since he's been in charge. So does this just show that maybe they're better than we thought? And I know what you're saying, that we should win a match like this, but it actually is proving out to be between these two clubs, two clubs that know each other very well with some more players. Now you're talking three draws between these two teams. So is it more that we're even or we just know each other? Is it, you know, again, goes back to, is it a fair result? I think it's a fair result, but I don't think that maybe we should be surprised that it was a draw, Max. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the good argument there is what you said about Bournemouth unbeaten since O'Neill took over. Yeah. But this is a different team. A different team. Still. You same players, quali- by the way. I mean, not, same players. Not a lot of quality in, in the side compared to us, I think. <laughs> no, I would agree with that, but this is the same team that lost 9-0. 9-0. Just think yeah. about that. 9-0. Sa- same exact team. So that, that's the part that uh, a former manager needs to uh, think about. That, you know, I'm just going to say that. All right. Great show, guys. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank to do you, show. guys. Always great to talk full with you guys. Oh, it, w- it was a blast. And I will be in Hammersmith End for the Aston Villa match on Thursday night. Look forward to talking with you guys some more about it. Okay, great. Max, always great doing the show with you. You don't have a match today, or is it later? <laughs> it's actually a bit later. I have to leave oh, after okay, this good. one. Um, but great to see Craig. Great to see you, Ross. Um, always great to have What's a, your a position, by the way? Left mid. Left mid. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Attacking? Are you attacking? Yeah, honestly, I, I want to like Dan James because I see myself as a similar type of player to him. You know, Pacey, <laughs> not, not, not the tallest, but... He's really doing me a disservice with this. Well, see, no, I see you more as a future man or Solomon, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, we'll we'll take that. We'll take that. You're the man or Solomon of of journalism. There you go. You're the (laughs) man or Solomon. I love that. That's a great way to end the show. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of College Talk. For Craig Coben and Max Cohen, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to College Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.